Hi, this is Lewis Carter. I'm author of In Great Company, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. The most loved workplace, and he's CEO. He's a CEO executive coach. He's the author of 11 books on leadership and management and the recipient of numerous accolades, including the Top 10 Global Guru Award in Organizational Culture, Top Products Award by HR Tech, Top Leadership Executive by, Leaders, by Leadership Excellence Magazine and eLearning Magazine's Trailblazer Award. Lou lives in Palm Beach Gardens, Florida, and here to talk about his book, In Great Company, How to Spark Peak Performance by Creating an Emotionally Connected Workplace. Welcome, Lou. Hey, Bill. Good to have me on with you today. Good to see you. It's good to be with you. Tell me, Lou, when you were growing up, who's somebody who influenced or inspired you? Influenced or inspired me. The, the, the first person that came to my mind was my dad. And he was and is, he's still around. So he was the owner of a small business, my family business, and located in a small town, Waterford, Connecticut, employees about 100 or so. And he really taught me the value of getting up early, working extremely hard as hard as you could to get to your goals. And for him, he just worked tirelessly. He would travel all around the Northeast and be a really wonderful friend, confidant, and counselor, good person to all of his clients and had a great sense of humor. He always made everybody laugh and people felt comfortable around him as a result. And I always looked up to that and always really loved that about him. So he, dad owned a 401k TPA operation, which was part of our larger family business, which was insurance. And yeah. And as you think back on his model of hard work and being there for others as a confidant and having a good sense of humor, what type of impact did that have on you? Yeah, it, it was huge. I think we look look back at what I've done in my life. And I, I did create, I made popular the field of leadership development with Warren Bennis in books. And I've consulted and I've done a lot of advisory work. And the reason it goes a lot, it goes back a lot farther than that, though, with my dad and the family comp- family business. I thought for a very long time that I would be working for them, right? When I was older, I thought, Lou, that's what you're going to do. You're going to grow up. You're going to work for your family business. And that was the thing that I thought was really important. But one day I woke up and I figured out my grandmother passed away. So the, the matriarch was gone and it was left with all of the sons and daughters. So what happens when, when the leader who is bringing it all together leaves or dies, right? The glue is gone. The glue is gone. And they become glue if they're a horse, if they die. So what happened was, so once she died, everybody started fighting and the culture eroded and it went to nothing. And so we had to, employees left. They got sold out to a larger company. I don't think it's right what happened, Bill. And, and I don't think it should happen to anyone else. And a lot of what I do to this day and why I'm here today and doing what I do is to help others. So that doesn't happen. They have strong cultures, strong employee base. And if a founder or somebody who has really created a strong culture leaves or dies, the culture lives on forever. And that's my quest. Do you remember a time when you were first starting work where 
you were about to make a decision or you found yourself adopting an early morning work habit that got you into the routine and you just knew that was something that carried over from your dad's example. Yeah. So one of my first jobs out of college was for a consulting firm and it was Ernst & Young. So I got up one of the biggest in the world, one of the top five. So I started my day just like my dad did at five o'clock and I kept going. Six o'clock was my breakfast, my coffee, and I got there by seven. I was the first one in there. And then it kept going. The whole day kept going, going. I got there. I thought five would be the time I'd leave, but it kept going past five and I stayed there. Okay. So here's the, here's my, here's what happened. They all left and I was left in the place without lock or code. And I didn't realize what time it was. I go downstairs. I couldn't get out. I didn't have the key. Couldn't get out. What happened? They were all at a party without me there. So I couldn't get out. So I said to myself, wait a second. This is great what my dad does. However, I have to balance this and I have to be who I am and not be what he was and what others expect me to be. Because they saw me as this opportunity to take advantage of my work-life balance. <laughs> Turned out they had a different one in mind for themselves. So if I'm, I'm talking to you right now to younger people just joining the workforce, it's super important for you to realize what your body clock is, what your your cadence is in your life. It might have worked well for my father. It could work well for Elon Musk. It could work well differently for Warren Buffett. Whoever it is, people have different clocks and different needs for their bodies. Find out what yours is and live your own. That's so true. And as people who lead their own businesses, I've also explored adopting different cadences just to see how it works. And I find that I can work through the weekend, but not two consecutive weekends. I could still be productive. I could get things done. I feel great getting ahead of the game, but I don't want to do that for more than 14 or 15 days straight. Then I need a couple of days off and relax and rejuvenate and then come back. It's It works for you. And you have to find that. Have fun too. So many people don't have fun in what they do. And they're just angry at their clients or they're upset and they blame their clients. Oh, they're mean to me. I won't choose them to work. There could be a misfit. Look at yourself first, right? What's happening with you? Not just them. I'm sure you've heard the phrase that someone who works for themselves and starts their own business is someone who'd rather work 80 hours a week for themselves rather than 40 hours a week for another boss. There you go. There you go. One of the phrases that makes me think of you and your work, Luke, is having a positive relationship with change. Organizational leaders not only have to deal with changes in market conditions and customer requests, supply change, supply chain shortages, they get to come up with culture improvements, stronger teams and work processes, and decide company strategy and direction. What are a few of the obstacles that blind small business leaders to having a positive relationship with change? Or actually, it's not binary, a more positive relationship with change. So having a positive relationship with change is, there's a formula to it that I always use. You have to know what your dissatisfaction is. That's critical. You have to know what's really wrong and what could be done better. What could be done better is your vision. So your vision is super important. Where are you going? Where do you want to go? And then you have to look at your first steps. Without first steps, you can't have a good relationship with change because you're thinking a thousand steps down the road. What's your first step? There's a reason why we all have first steps in life. As children, we do take a first step and then genuinely and gradually we get better. That always overcomes resistance. So I'll look at the equation one more time. The three things that are most important 
important to overcoming change are vision, first steps, and dissatisfaction. And if we know these three things, we can always overcome resistance because dissatisfaction is the first part of it. What's wrong? What can be done better? Where do we want to go? And then what's the first step to getting there? It makes it easier. It makes it cleaner and it puts you at ease so you can move forward. So when someone's struggling with one of these areas, what advice do you offer? Maybe let's do an example of someone who came to you and said, look, I have an outwardly successful company, but I'm unhappy. I'm dissatisfied with what's going on. How do you begin that conversation in order to help the executive see what direction to take in order to make improvements in his or her business life? So I call it looking at a full view of what's happening around that person. So the only way to really get comfortable with change is to see what's happening around you. So in social organizational psychology, we have a real way to do that. And I'll give you a big fancy word. It's called thematic analysis. So what that means is somebody on the outside, not inside, because there's a lot of biases that happens on the inside, on the outside looks around that leader to see what are they doing well, what could they do better, what should they stop, start, or do more or less of, okay? So if you look at the stakeholders and the supporters around them, people who both agree and disagree with that leader, they give a lot of rich information to that leader as to what their first steps may be that they may choose to get to where they want to go. Now, this is the biggest, the biggest detractor to change is that CEOs believe that the executive coach is changing them. Uh-uh. It's the CEO that's changing themselves. The CEO who is changing themselves. They decide what their goals are. They decide where they're going. They decide which parts of that information that they're getting from the outside, inside their company, their external information is both valuable or not valuable. So you can get some information that is a, from the vending machine or you can get some information that is a diamond. They have to decide which one's best. And I'm sure they're also deciding which are valid and which are not valid. I'm sure that people come up with ideas that they should do as first steps that they think is just not aligned with where they want to go. That's right. Lou, how does thematic analysis differ significantly from a 360 review? It's a big difference. People often use simple surveys and they just send it out. And, and they take, first of all, here's, a, here's what happened with surveys. People get really upset with surveys. And surveys cause a lot of fatigue. And that fatigue often creates a sense of anger among people. People get angry at surveys. What are they really getting angry about? Yeah, doing them because they're usually really long and they require a lot of time. We always have mini surveys after the thematic analysis. So thematic analysis means that you take the time to interview, create relationships with people who can help that leader get better. And that leader has a relationship with those stakeholders. They become their allies and they create alliances with them because alliances is the most important thing to actually create inside of your ecosystem as a leader. You'll see a lot, of, if you look up alliances, in organizational psychology. It's a whole body of knowledge around alliances that say, when you have people who want to help you get better, and it in turn helps them do their job better or helps them achieve more, you actually create an ecosystem where everybody gets better and a world of work where everybody wins. That's terrific. One of the other charts that stuck out in the book that really jumped out, I thought that would be really useful to talk about, is the positive design grid where you have you and others on the vertical axis and the past and future on the horizontal axis. 
how is it that you introduce that as a tool and let people work with it? Yeah, so the positive feature grid, if you kind of look at it, it does these crosshairs, right? So I'll go this way because it's opposite. So on this side of the positive feature grid, you'll see the past of how others perceive you. And then there is the past of how you perceived yourself. So it is really important to start from that place of, this is how I saw myself. So let's talk about Laura. She was the CEO. Let's do it again. Let's do it present tense because I don't want to do was as a president. So let's talk about Laura. Laura is the CEO of a small biotech company that has a lot of VC funding. She's never had experience with getting VC funding and being VC backed. And she had to work her way into feeling comfortable with this role. So her past was about completely different ideas of herself. So before she was the SVP of branding and marketing of a completely different company. It was actually, it was a small technology company. Okay. So it had some similarities, but it was different biotech. So she said, in the past, I was below the CEO. I did not have the CEO level. I only have one divisional area and I now have to look at the whole. So I have to look at how to work with investors. I have to look at how can I sell? I have to look at business development. I do have to look at branding and marketing. I have to look at legal. I have to look at compliance, external relationships. Her whole, the whole became much, the, the whole system. If you look at the whole system became larger. So so whole systems change and CEOs have vastly different work than SVPs. And that's what she knew. She knew that had to happen. On the positive future design grid, she was thinking of herself as that old SVP, okay, where she could only do branding. She could only do marketing. And she, others thought of her in that way as well. But one or two people believed in her that she could do it because of all of her successes in branding and marketing. And she did that branding and marketing at a different company and then came in here. Yeah, exactly. Now, here's the thing about what happened in this company. She made the mistake of doing just branding and marketing and having a myopic mindset. She did that. So what she perceived about herself and what others perceived about her it got entrenched, right? So she, it came true. And the board noticed it. They said, you're not doing the legal relationships. You're not creating alliances well. And you're not maintaining this VC-backed relationships like we need you to. You don't get it. So she was in trouble. She said, if you're going to keep, and the board said clearly, if you're going to keep working in this way, you're going to lose. We're not going to keep you anymore. And there's some really bad statistics for CEOs. Over 60% of CEOs get fired. They get fired because of relationship issues, communications issues, just like this. And when you're a CEO, you have to have the entire view of the whole company, including your board. And your relationships are much broader. Your work is much broader. And you must bring yourself into that way of being. So future grid. She had to view herself in that larger way, the second part of the grid, okay? So she had to know, all, listen to all that feedback coming to her from the board, from all of her peers, from people who didn't believe her in her and did believe in her to help her get better. And she had to change the way she thought of herself. You really think about this for a second, Bill. Like you have to shift who you are in the moment, right? You really do. So if you became just your podcast and you're an executive coach now and you help change cultures, you for a living, right, Bill? Like you, you're a strategic change agent and a consultant and you help companies change and grow. And, and just what if just in, in one split second, right, you were just, you were asked to be CEO of Pfizer just tomorrow. A lot would have to change. A lot would have to change, right? In one moment, this happens to people. They get opportunities immediately. And, and then it's, oh, real work starts. 
and you have to realize that it's one moment in time, okay? And it, and that's when the first steps start and you go slowly and you keep something in your wallet that says, this is where I want to be in five years, 10 years. Because if just because you're the CEO of Pfizer right now, doesn't mean you're going to be the CEO of Pfizer in five years. It also doesn't mean that you will stay in your position very long with statistics. What happened with Laura and how she was able to use this future view of herself in order to make the changes to encompass everything, both in her own role and, and her relationships? Laura took a very, it took her a long time for her to do it. She's still on that journey. So the CEO of Pfizer, whether the CEO of Pfizer or anybody else, you're constantly having to be on that journey. And you're going to make a lot of mistakes along the way. I'm not saying Laura's perfect. She's not. She's working at it every day. How long would it take Laura to become the perfect CEO? I don't know. I don't know. She has to continually get successes constantly, achieve them, put the arrows in her quiver so that she can develop the sense of self. It's going to take Laura a long time. And it's going to take the board a long time for them to realize that she can stay. My message was where I was getting to there was that it doesn't matter if you're CEO because you're only as good as the success that you have now. Tomorrow's going to be a different day. Now, the CEO, I'll give you another example, CEO of one of the largest exchanges in the world, he, New York Stock Exchange, he was in his position when they were merging with Euronext. And what Duncan said to me was, Lou, I don't think of myself as the CEO of New York Stock Exchange Euronext. I, I don't say my name is Duncan Niederauer, CEO of Stock Exchange Euronext. I say I am this position. This position is greater than me. So the president of the United States is greater than the person. The CEO is greater than the person. The CEO role is greater than Laura. So the positive future grid, while she might have used it, you're constantly reaching out to that second part of the positive future grid. There's no necessarily success other than the success you have in the moment. You have to constantly be reinventing yourself, especially at that high role with such pressure. And it's not something that'll come easy. It's not just an easy thing where you say, one day Laura is there. She's not going to be there ever. One thing that occurs to me, Lou, is how a grid like that can be very helpful to companies that are adopting and adapting to change. So for instance, with the pandemic lockdown, they could say, in the past, here's how I thought of myself and I measured my success by the size of my office and the size of my desk and how many people were on my calendar to wait outside and have meetings with me. And now we're all setting up Zoom calls. And now we need to reach out and be more proactive with forming those relationships so that everybody knows that they're included and has that sense that the company's making progress and is counting on them to deliver the goods for what they've promised to deliver. What else have you noticed that might come in handy for people who are managing remotely and looking to bring their teams together in a stronger way. I, I just want to go back because I want to make sure that people understand that at the C-level, it's not like you're you're just making it and you're there. If you don't realize humility truly is, which is realizing that you have successes and failures and there is no like major positive other than your vision that you keep in, a, in the Zoom meeting that you're discussing right now and that we're going to get to, which is you keep great company. What I mean by great company is people that you can develop inside of a Zoom meeting. What I mean by develop is give people equal airtime, give them the respect that they need inside of those meetings to have equal airtime. Do you know that airtime is one of the greatest forms of respect you can give to other people? Because it connotes that you're listening to them. Exactly. And a good tool for that of listening is mirroring. So this is what I heard you say, Bill, is that a good tool for that is mirroring. I used your words as well. And you're right. That's right. Mirroring is an important part of feeling understood and giving respect and allowing that person to talk. Sometimes it's just the words. It's the air. Luke, a lot of another topic has to deal with alignment
alignment of values. It's a key element of being in great company. What does it mean to have the alignment of values? A lot of times people have misunderstandings as to whether that means everyone has to exactly share the same set of values. What does it mean to you to have that alignment of values in order to be a precursor to having a high-performing organization? So values actually sell. They're saleable, brandable goods for a company. And what do I mean by that? So companies that are ramping up and they're getting a lot of talent can sell through value, okay? And values, not values for goods, but values, like personal values, they're different. So think of one of the world's largest coffee companies. And I'll just say his name is Howard. So Howard and Howard happens to be two Howards who were together, had had an issue. Are they from Seattle by chance? They're from a really big city in Washington called Seattle. And they were loving what they did. They were very excited that they had this awesome coffee shop and that they could welcome in people and they would know people's names. And they even found a, a time when one of the gentlemen who came in every day actually passed away and they took off a day to go to his funeral. So their issue was they wanted to give more of this to the world. They wanted the world to find out more about who they really were, that they really cared about people coming in and saying their name when they walked in, that they knew who they were when they walked in and that they cared about them. And they said, this is something really special. And they genuinely, both Howard and Howard, genuinely believe that when they sold that value, and it is selling, sold their personal values, that they would find other like-minded people who would work with and for them. And they even brought it one step further to their vision, which was we're going to give them stock options because we believe so much in the power of our community. That company, a little small company in in Seattle, Washington, became one of the largest coffee companies in the world, restaurant chains in the world. It's something rhymes with Huck, something like that. Is that what it is? It's Starbucks. That is. I, I Sometimes it, it erodes me. I can't remember their name of their company. It eludes you too? You said it erodes you, which is not a good thing for coffee to do. So let's talk about killer achievement, which is a phrase that I think really sparks interest when people hear it and they see it because people want to be better at executing. And one of the, let me say that there are five bullet points. I'm sorry, there are four bullet points. There are four bullet points you talk about in the book. One is align strategy with culture. The other is set people up to succeed. Three is play to win. And four is to foster resilience. Let's talk about those a little bit. One of the phrases I like that has to do with aligning strategy with structure, tell me how the phrase presumption of competence supports having an aligned strategy with the structures within your company. Got it. All right. Tom Kolitz, who is a U.S. Brigadier General, U.S. Army Brigadier General within with the, with Korean augmentee soldiers and U.S. soldiers in his rank and file, found that they were, were fighting each other rather than the enemy. Okay. So when you fight each other, there's you, the enemy is going to do a lot better than when you fight the enemy. And you're going to, you're going to probably have more casualties. What happens is Tom had to level the playing field for them because U.S soldiers were at that time judging the Korean augmentee soldiers and their fighting tactics. And he was really saying that that can happen. They have to respect each other and respect and create that equal military battlefield. So he created, he did things for that. Some of his first steps were that he would make a Korean augmentee soldier have one of the highest possible privileges for a brigadier general, which is to be his driver. So he made him his driver. Then he 
bought, he brought a bunch of U.S. soldiers into a dojos, Korean dojos. And the U.S. soldiers learned all these awesome techniques that the Korean augmentee soldiers had for fighting, which is a martial arts. Then he created these experiences for, for the U.S. soldiers to eat Korean food with them and how they eat Korean food. Then he had U.S. soldiers learn Korean. Okay, so what happens when you immerse U.S. soldiers in another culture? Their respect went up, okay? And instead of having casualties, he, the high casualty rates, that he had low casualty rates and they went in formation so that there was extremely high stakes for them both if they had not gone into this, this structure. And it all came down to respect for each other and taking the first steps. We went to that first chain, feeling comfortable change grid, right? The positive change grid and the, also the equation grid. Those first steps with his vision of an equal playing field and knowing that the dissatisfaction was that U.S. soldiers were making fun of Korean augmentee soldiers. So that overcame the resistance and they did quite well. I, I love that example because it really talks about change coming from within. When they gained more knowledge and experience to appreciate that culture, their behavior changed. Are, are you someone who, in your coaching, believes that the most long-lasting change comes from doing from the inside out or first change the behavior and then by changing your behavior, you'll make a change in how you perceive things? My, my thought is always self-awareness comes first. That's the first part. And sometimes just the awareness itself is cool. You can stop there, okay? It's good enough. And then we, and then you pepper it in with perception of yourself. And people may think different things about you. It's okay. It's okay. What matters is, can you get your vision and goals to the next step with the knowledge of their perception of you and your own perception? Because you can't control other people's perception of you. That's a losing Never. battle. You ever try to change somebody else's perception? What's going to happen? Or do you ever try to tell somebody to do something? What are they thinking? They're not going to do it. Some people say, oh yeah, I'm going to do that right away. But no, we're not trying to change you. We're not trying to change the way you see me. We're trying to work within that understanding. Yeah, and adding the respect, that's so important. The next point about setting people up to succeed, you talked about jazz pharmaceuticals making a commitment to really developing their people. And it wasn't just, oh, here's a, a couple of workshops you could choose from. Talk about what they did and what that meant for the people who work there. Yeah, development means a lot. Did I say development means a lot to people. They know that they're being invested in. They know that they're there for a reason. They know that they're there for the long term. When you invest in people, there's a effect on somebody. So they're thinking, they just put extra money into me, I better take advantage of, as well as number two, I better do something with and show that I'm doing better, right? So when your parents invest in you for college or you and you get a loan or you work really hard for that loan, there's a reason why you're working hard, right? You're working hard to get better, to get not, could be great grades, it could be for better social relationships, whatever it may be, you're working to get it. So education and development as a tool for all companies is essential because you're giving them what they're used to in their construct of life. People are used to being invested in for the, their development. And when we give people that gift, they usually take advantage of it. When they don't take advantage of it, they're probably there for the wrong reasons or they just don't value development in some way. And then you have to think twice about those people because people who, who do not value development and growth and their understanding of how they are perceived inside of the culture 
culture, they may have a riff to where they really want to go and where you wish for them to become even better. People who want people to get better are wonderful. These are great people. These are the most wonderful human beings you could possibly get there. They actually want you to be better. And you have to relax your mind to that. That actually occurs. There's somebody out there who's trying and wanting for you to get better and succeed in your company. Did you did you work with Jazz when they made this decision or did you learn about it secondhand? Can you share some of the insights that you gained watching what happened when Jazz made that investment? So I can I'll talk about Eric. So he's real, actually. So he's a real guy. He's a wonderful head of leadership development, organization development. And he was at a point where he said, look, we really want to create a, a standardized leadership development program. And he had to get buy-in for this. He had to go to the top of the company. He had to form relationships. He had to look at the best possible ways to do leadership development inside of Jazz. So he had a very big edict. He was huge that he created and that other people believed in him that he could do. So his business case was this. We not only find high potentials, we give opportunities for development to everybody, opportunities for development to everybody. And that included organization development teams where they took part in developing great things for the company, developing more creativity and growth, giving the 360 degree, as you mentioned, uh, feedback to everybody and giving them the opportunity to grow throughout their career. So this doesn't just happen anywhere. It happens with people who believe in this area of leadership development. It happens with people who know how to get the buy-in from senior managers to believe in it as well and see the value across the board. It has transactional value as well for them. So if you have leadership development, that's great transactional value for how when you're selling to employees to work for you. We provide a leadership development program to all of our employees. In some way, you'll be trained and developed in the next uh, 100 to 1,000 days of your career, at which time we'll work with you to help you succeed in the company. Wow. Who wouldn't want to work for a place like that? Yeah, that's exciting. And it's probably also something you look for with your most loved workplaces. Tell me about how that operates and how that ties into the ideas in in great company. So in most loved workplace, we look at transactional, like le- what are you doing with le- leadership development? Do you have neurodiversity programs? Do you have diversity, equity, inclusion programs? Do you All the great things that people do. Now, it's great to have those things. It's another to actually see if there's if that change is happening and people are living those values. And it's actually a company that people love. We use the word love because it's about, it's love is related to sentiment, feeling for something or some or someone, right? This is something, it's a company. So it's a larger approach. So sentiment analysis, how people feel about the company. It's a quick pulse. So two to three minutes for employee, how do you feel? And there's some specific parts of the research that we did around respect and alignment of values that you just heard about it in this podcast. What is important to most love workplace and to companies is that they not only do, they do it and they have leadership development, talent management, neurodiversity, DEI, but they're also showing it with this pulse check of their employees. You have to prove it. You have to prove that you're doing it. And you could start from here. You might be lower down the list and you could come get to the top of the list. There's just, then there's ways to get there because you give, give you the roadmap. It's on the pulse survey. You can get it. So you have, it's about agreeing that you will get to a place where high sentiment is part of the success of your company. And it is better to be loved than feared. Some don't always believe that. However, our research shows that it is. Doing this uh, survey for how many years now? Yeah, 10 years. So 10 years of research. Over 10 years of research. Have you been able to show a correlation between a rise up the most loved list and also the business output, the metrics of success for a viable growing company? Let me get, let me give you the metrics. That's the one you'll, you'll want. So, okay. 
with high employee sentiment toward the company, we found that employees are willing to work harder and stay longer. How much? Three to four times more. Whoa, let me just stop there. Not three or four percent, three or four times longer if they love the company. Yes. So they're willing to work three to four times more and longer. Okay. So they stay longer, retention, and they produce more productivity. Okay. So there's a big word in org site called voluntary discretionary effort, which means that I'm not just going to do my job. I'm going to do what's around my job and more around my job because I love my company, because I have high sentiment for the company, truly believe in it and align with the values, feel respected, know what my outcomes are going to be. And you're, that is the part of your life you're spending and you're excited about the most, right? 50, 60% of your time is on, on the job. You better be at the one that you love the most. Three to four times more productivity, voluntary discretionary effort, and stay longer. Those are strong numbers. I have a, a strong question for you next. Lou, are you ready for the my quest for the best lightning round? I am, yeah. All right, ready. So we started off talking about who's someone who influenced or inspired you growing up. You talked about your dad. When you were a teenager, Lou, what's a song that you loved? I could feel it coming in the air tonight by Phil Collins. Great song. How does it go? I could feel it coming in the air tonight. Oh, Lord. I've been waiting for this moment for all my life. And it's got these punctuations. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. Yeah, that's really why I loved it because I've been a drummer since I was 10. I love the fact that Phil Collins had open drums and when he did that, he had a really cool way of jiving with his own personal way of being. And you look at great talent. When I look at great talent like Phil, like he he had his own way of being and it was only Phil. You couldn't be another, there's no other Phil Collins in the world. There's no other Ben Folds in the same, in the world. Like they're so distinct and they're so like authentic and real. There's nobody else like those guys. And I just really love that. Like that feeling of just uniqueness and authenticity. It's totally playing all out, playing to win. And sh- there's another fellow who I work with, Cal Newport, who wrote, be so good they can't ignore you. It's when talent rises to that level. People pay just to watch them do something that they unique can express in the world. Your mission with getting the word out about great company, being great company, cultivating great companies, being a most loved workplace requires you to get the word out. What's been the most effective way that you've found to get the word out and connect with those that are able to benefit the most from what you have to share? Yeah. So I feel really blessed and have a lot of gratitude to have relationships with publishers. I think that's very important. Most of my books are published by John Wiley and Sons. So I've had a long standing relationship with John Wiley. And also now with Newsweek, which is really exciting to me. It's the beginning of, of this kind of relationship where we get more distribution. There's a larger audience and it's with a publication I respect. And so that's really how we get out to more people is through larger distribution channels. And th- that's really our, our way is that we are able to reach more people. We're able to give and get respect with those publications, which we love and have a great working relationship with. Lou, you're involved in so many different activities and areas. Do you have a tool or system you use to help you stay on track and productive? Yeah, no. I I used to, there's many others I could rattle off our stack. I use Google Docs. I'm a G Suite enterprise guy. I I, I really am. I have, my other tools are people who help me. So the answer to your question is, do it again. Do you have a tool that helps you stay productive? Do you want to say it again? Just go ahead and we'll edit. Google Suite. Um, We're a Google business. So Google Suite is really important to us. So I use Google Docs, Google Calendar, and absolutely, that's our main tool. We feel most comfortable 
on it and it's done really well for us. What would you say is the best business advice you ever received? Best business advice. I've gotten two two different pieces of advice. One is never get a partner uh, and always be alone. And the other is get a partner and and never be alone. So I've gone in the, the middle where I found business partners and alliances yet still stayed independent. So I believe they're not mutually exclusive. I think they're, they're, there's a polarity to that too. I think not having a partner by being independent while also using your alliances and partnerships to help you get to that next level is really important. So you've been drumming since you were about 10 years old. You've also incorporated it into some of your work. Can you can you talk about one of the most memorable ways that you've incorporated drumming into your leadership development work? Yeah. So when I, I was getting my graduate degree at, at Columbia in New York City, the first day 9-11 had. So the, one of the towers was, yeah, one of the towers, literally when I woke up, the tower came down. It was, it was literally at 9-11 on my clock, or literally at, one came down, but I didn't know. One was hit. One was hit at 9-11. So the first day I woke up at 9-11 on my clock and the first plane hit the tower. I was on the Upper West Side and obviously the World Trade Center is on the, the lower part of Manhattan. So I heard it in the news. I heard it and then I realized what had happened. And so it was a time when the city and, and I, we were, we were all confused and we didn't have community. It was, everyone was leaving and they were running across the Brooklyn Bridge and they were, it's ridiculous. Everyone left and the, nothing to laugh about. However, I'm confused and scared. Yeah. Panicked, confused, scared. They had lost lives. So they were, people were, had a lot of trauma, personal trauma. And the trauma often manifests itself in different ways. People go to alcohol, they go to drugs, they, they go to different methods. They always say halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And when you're in these situations, we'll all run you to either eating or to doing something that may harm you. So I said, look, anybody who's feeling like that, first of all, the first thing you do is if you feel like you're doing something that might harm you, and I say this disclaimer to everybody, call up the suicide hotline. You must do that. So I disclaim that. I also said to everybody, if you're feeling bad after you've done all that stuff and you do your work and you have your therapist, which I'm telling everybody to do, and if you have to go online to get one these days, mytherapy.com or one of the tens, out, out, about 10 out there, what's important to do is join a community, okay? So my community was a drumming community. So we did that in the campus of Columbia University, and it became became a way for people to express themselves and have fun and uh, do something perhaps they've never done before. And which is if you had other people drumming with you, they brought drums and everybody followed along. Yeah. Yeah. Look, let me show it looked like this. This is the drum. Can you see this? Yeah. Bill? So this is a djembe. It's from Ghana, West Africa. And uh, everybody brought, I said, you have to bring me a djembe. And because uh, so they either bought one or they got one from a friend because somebody has a djembe somewhere. And you could always buy a djembe in the Upper West Side. Always. The, the djembe I taught one thing to people who doesn't know. There's a bass and there's a tone to gym bass. So every, all of life has a bass and a tone and their heartbeats. So we all reminded ourselves that everybody has a heartbeat and we're all the same in that way. So we can all join in and we all did bass tone together. Okay. So that became the heartbeat of all of this. The heartbeat of all of it was our bass and our tone. And that reminded us that we are alive, that we should take advantage of every moment we have to be happy and have fun because it does go by and it is long. Life is long. So we must have fun. We may, we have to make every day fun. We have to. And I think of this all the time. Think of one thing you could do right now that's fun and go do it because it will be too late. And for some, it is taken away too soon. For the people in 9-11, is taken away too soon. Too soon. Yeah, I hear you. So work, working with the drums and the community really helped a and lot. And what was the name of the drum it's again? It was a... Yeah, it's called a djembe. D-J-E-M-B-E. 
It's originally from Ghana and Africa. And if you want to look up djembe drumming, learn from some great people like Arthur Hall and Mickey Hart, who was part of uh, Grateful Dead, drummed there in Hawaii with them, learning this and had a lot of fun. So yeah, I learned from great people how to do this and how important this stuff is to to form community. That's so important. There's so many good lessons in there. Lou, what do you what would you say is the best hundred dollar or so purchase you've made in the last six months? Does that have to be? Is it over a hundred? Around oh, around a hundred. Okay. All right. So around a hundred. Oh, jeez. You make so many and on Amazon, right? It's like how many of the hundred dollars? I'm the one that you said. Oh my gosh, how could I not have done this months ago? It's just made such a cool yeah. difference in my life. Yeah, it's really my. This hasn't been a month. This my equipment here to help with the shows really helps with, for our news, Newsweek shows, and it helps. It definitely, really, these are very important. I, I get the kind of excitement you get out of using them. Yeah, I know. I could do that. Like, I've never been able to do this before. Right. So it's great. Right. Cool. That's great. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Complete this prompt. Personally, being successful when? I'm open-minded and, and also being cool about who I am no matter what. And then what's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped in the last year that's brought you the most pleasure or personal satisfaction? I think one of the, oh, so I was thinking habits that I should start. This is the ones to eliminate. What stopped? That you realized what was really good. I stopped traveling every week. I was constantly on an airplane. It didn't feel good. I don't like going to hotels all the time. It's not my favorite thing. Stopping traveling has been a blessing in my life. You've really gained so much perspective through your work and your personal travels. What would you say that from the people you've spoken with that are struggling with how to build a great company, even while we're under pandemic lockdown for over a year now, what would you say that they need to hear most and do most in order to make measurable steps, measurable first steps. Yeah, it's very different for different people. I think about a CEO that has been very successful through the pandemic because he has taken away, he's taken time to go do the things he loves and then comes back. So he doesn't get angry a lot with people. And that is easy to do, very easy to do because things are, tensions are so high. In terms of taking positive next steps, seeing the bigger picture in front of you is something I tell everybody. So I think of it like a invisible ball. So I say, look at the invisible ball. Look at what is before you and what you've been going through. And don't let it sit within you so that it's, it feel ba- feels bad and you're tensed up and you feel like you just can't do anything. Look at it as if it's right here. And there's a lot of traditions that say the energy can live without, outside of you. You can use it to to move and, and allow other objects in your way. Tai Chi says that a lot. Tai Chi has those kinds of disciplines and other martial arts. I really believe in that. When you're able to keep your energy outside of you and look at where you're going outside of you, you have the ability to get to the right and left because when you're going head on to things, you're going to hit. You're going to hit a wall. But when you move to the left on someone's side or move to the right on someone's side, they pass you and you have more of an ability to get in the place you want to go. You'll see this happening. If you're listening to this, you'll see it happening because it'll happen in your life and you'll see what I mean by it. Instead of going getting in someone's way and trying to change them constantly, which is what I'm sure a lot of people do, literally change people and say how things are wrong. Realize you're on their team now. We talked about Laura before when she came into that role of CEO. She didn't know she was on their team. She thought she just had a punch and shuck and weave. No, she's on a team. So getting on the team, realizing people are going to be there for you and starting from a place of positivity, starting from that place that you can do well with them will make all the difference. Lou, you have shared so many great ideas with us on my quest for the best. I want to thank you so much for sharing what a great role model your dad was 
in being someone who worked hard, got up early, and cared about people and really made them at ease. We talked about the, the difference with having the idea of having a vision and making sure that your vision and first steps overcame the resistance that you have to help you move forward. We talked about Laura, who really needed to look at how she viewed herself in her role and how she wanted to be viewed in the future now that she was stepping up to being a CEO. You talked about how 60% of CEOs have, or get fired and often due to relationship issues, either with their, their teams, the rest of the company, or the board, and how important it is to focus on those issues to be effective. We talked about the importance of making sure that giving people respect, and it could be something as concrete and immediate as giving people equal airtime during portions of meetings. You talked about how values um, actually sell. And people can use those values, like that small um, startup company in, in, in uh, Western uh, Washington State did with their coffee. And we learned so many different ideas about how to apply this to be in great company. So for these and so many more reasons, Lou, I want to thank you for joining me today on My Quest for the Best. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate you having me. And Lou, before we say goodbye for now, tell me, where is it that we can find out more about you and the extraordinary work you do? with helping teams become great and building great companies. We'd love you to check out mostlovedworkplace.com. You can always check me out on the web at mostlovedworkplace.com. Come check it out, see where you could be and how you can help your company to find the talent that you want. We're going to definitely link to mostlovedworkplace.com as well as your other companies, your book on Amazon, as well as your social media to make it easy for people to stay up to date with you and to engage with the products and services you have to offer so that they can develop um, in great company as well. So, thanks, Bill. Lewis Carter, author of In Great Company, How to Spark Peak Performance by Creating an Emotionally Connected Workplace. I want to thank you once again for joining me on My Quest for the Best. Thank you, Bill. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on My Quest for the Best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review My Quest for the Best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.